Good morning again. A wise man uh, once said, a traveler sees what he sees, a tourist sees what he or she has come to see. A traveler sees what he sees, a tourist sees what he or she has come to see. I would say to you that um, there's a lot of church-going people, maybe some of us, who, um, when it comes to God, what it means to who God is, uh, what it means to have a relationship with God, we come uh, to see uh, what we've come to see, right? And the purpose of this series, if you've been here for some weeks with us studying the character of God, is to try to challenge you to see some of what you haven't seen uh, when it concerns who God is and what it means to have a vital relationship with Him. So that's what we've been talking about in these many weeks. And this, this morning's message, um, the characteristic that we're looking at is called in theological speak the omnipresence of God. But it just simply means this, that God, unlike you and unlike me, um, is not limited to time and space to be at the same place at the same time. I mean, we, we, can, we, we do our best, this is part of the challenge of the message too, all the more in a technologically advanced society to be in more uh, than one place at a time. And there's costs to that. But the truth is, we are limited uh, by our, uh, our, our lives, our, our bodies to be at one place at a time. But God, the Bible says, can be everywhere at the same time in our lives and in the world. So that's the omnipresence of God. One passage of scripture uh, for this Mother's Day, it's uh, the 139th Psalm. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can open up to the very middle of your Bible uh, where the book of Psalms are, these prayers, these songs, uh, the nation of Israel, the Old Testament people of God, very important uh, words and, and, and um and uh, uh, prayers in the book of Psalms. And we're going to read not all of Psalm 139, but most of it. The 139th Psalm, a Psalm of David, uh, the man of God. So if you'll stand to your feet, why don't you, this morning as we read God's word. Psalm 139, I'll just read uh, the first 18 verses, but pay careful attention uh, to these words. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You may be seated. The omnipresence of God said in another way, what does this mean? God is fully present everywhere, okay? Not just present, but fully present everywhere. It's clear today uh, to me, I hope, uh, I think perhaps to you, that people in general suffer, including people in this room, from a lack of intimacy in relationships, right? It's possible in our day, it's been this way for a while, to live in one place and work in another and even to relate to people. Some people say, my best friend lives in another place, okay? But this, you know, ability for us to sort of stretch the boundaries of our own uh, time and space limitations comes at a cost. People sometimes, maybe this will happen today at Mother's Day lunch, uh, uh, can even be in the same room with people and they're not really fully present, right? We hear that all the time. And, uh, you know, in some cases, this is a, an issue of uh, technology, but not always the case. You know, in airplanes even, right? It used to be the day and then that, you know, maybe five years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but that was the one, you know, the, the last place where technology could not invade, right? They said, turn off your, you cannot talk on the phone and even the plane, the, the airline industry has sort of, you know, got into a can't beat them, join them mentality. And those of you who have flown recently know that, you know, all's, uh, you can do everything on an airplane that you couldn't do before. But at the bottom of this problem, I would say to you, is it's really a spiritual sickness, not caused by technology, not blaming technology, but enhanced by it. But I would say this, my premise, the lack of intimacy that we have with other people, with each other, is, comes from a lack of intimacy with God. They're related, okay? You may not believe that, but follow me. They're related. And the recovery of intimacy um, with comes when we invite God to become more intimate with us. That's really where I want to end today, right? It's what he desires and what he will do if we let him, right? He doesn't force himself on anybody, okay? God is fully present everywhere. Well, what does this really mean? A couple quick things. Number one, all these great verses we just read. It means nothing that we do, if I'm taking these words, and not just these words, I think other places in the Bible would affirm this. Nothing that we do is unseen, right? Well, what does he say? He's not just saying, you know, like God's watching a movie of your life or of my life. He's saying much more than that. God, first of all, knows all of your moves, right? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Now, this is poetry, right? And, but he's making a point. He's getting very concrete. God knows your movements. That's what the Bible says anyway. He knows where you live. He knows when you sit. He knows when you rise. He knows your movements. But he also knows your motivations. 
You perceive my thoughts from afar. Now, wow. Right? We, we would say that even about each other, you know. Maybe some of husbands and wives in the room are close friends, and you go, someone's talking, you go, uh, 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 Amy, just be quiet. I already know where you're going. I've already, I, you know, right, Carl? I know where you're going. I've already, I, I got it. I perceive your thoughts from afar, and I know why you're doing what you're doing. We're good at not only understanding each other's moves if you're, you know, close with somebody, but we, we even know our motivations. Because God not only knows our moves, he knows our motivations. You perceive my thoughts from afar, right? But even more than that, he's evaluating our lives, verse 3. You discern my going out and my lying down. Remember, this is poetry, but he's making a point. You are familiar with all my ways. Now he's beyond geography. He's talking about how you run your life, right? You are familiar with all my ways. He searches. These are the big verbs in this passage. He, um, he, mo he, he perceives. He discerns, right? What does that mean, Rob? Well, it means this, if you believe these words. It's up to you. It's up to me. If you believe what the Bible is saying here, it says that God is in your home. He is in your office. He is in your uh, car. He is in your bedroom. Listen, he's in your thought life, right? Today, every day. That's what, the, that's what it means, the omnipresence of God. Now, for some of the tourist Christians in the room, I've probably just offended you, right? It's more than you'd like to be true, but you're not alone. Verse 6 in this passage, after these great, you know, first five verses of this, you know, this, 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 this beautiful vision or this overwhelming vision of everywhere God is, verse 6, we would call this a euphemism, right? Which means it's a, it's a, you're saying something nice that's really not so nice, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, okay? That's a nice way of saying, holy cow, get me out of here, right? Why not, where, where, how do I know that? Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, right? If your husband or wife said to you, that to you today, would that be a warm and inviting word? Where can I flee from your presence, okay? <laughs> Now, if you think I'm just having fun with verse 6 being a euphemism, let me read what one commentator, very well-known in respected Old Testament commentator, Alan Ross, says about these, this verse. The word translated wonderful, Psalm 139.6, does not express a pleasing and happy response. The word means incomprehensible, right? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. The kind of knowledge he has been describing is not human, it is supernatural and surpassing, wonderful in the sense of it's extraordinary, but it's incomprehensible. The verb it is high describes something that is unattainable, high like a wall or a fortress, right? It's too wonderful for me, too high for me to attain, too lofty for me to attain. God's knowledge is like a high fortress before which he stands, the writer, powerless. God has all the controlling knowledge and the psalmist, the writer, feels trapped and powerless, right? That's what he's saying, right? The, 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 uh, uh, the problem below all of our problems, right, is not our family systems. It's not our environment. It is a holy and personal God who is in your face every single day, right? That's what the Bible says. 
David said these words in the 51st Psalm, right? Some of you are familiar with it. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified in your judge in, in, when you judge. Now what's interesting about this, some of you know this. The 51st Psalm was written after David was called out by a man named Nathan, a prophet, for committing adultery and murder. He had an adulterous relationship with a woman who was not his wife, someone that he lived nearby him. And then when that got complicated, he used his, you know, his, his, his cachet as the king to move some levers to have her husband killed. Okay? But David says, after he's called out on that, and he comes to the realization, see, he forgot it. What I'm telling you here today that God is omnipresent, he's everywhere present, listen, whether you believe it or not or whether you did believe it or not isn't so uh, significant, it's true. But the question is, are you living in with that kind of reality? Are you awake to that reality? Because if you are, it can change your life. Well, see, even David wasn't awake to it until he gets the knock on the door from the prophet. And David's smart enough to know this. Yes, I, ruined, I killed a man, had a man murdered. Yes, I ruined a family and I caused great disgrace. But he said in verse 4, really my primary sin is against God, against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your... Why would he say that? How, how crazy does it sound that he could commit murder and adultery but say the only person I've sinned against is God? Well, what he's saying, not that God's the only person he sinned against. But see, the first and foremost, all sin is against God. Why is that? Because David, wherever he goes, wherever you go, God is there. He's everywhere present, right? And all sin is first and foremost against God. And it's, by the way, I would say this. Whether or not you believe that or not, or whether or not you are actively um, conscious of that, all of us are living our lives in response to that reality. People are running from God their whole lives, Christians and non-Christians, but not knowing why they're running. Uh, Carl Jung, if you remember that name, the great Swiss psychiatrist, psychologist, said these words. Now, this was in the 1960s, but it could have been written today. Contemporary man is blind to the fact that with all his rationality and efficiency, he is possessed by powers that are beyond his control. His gods and demons have not disappeared at all. They have merely got new names. They keep him on the run with restlessness, vague apprehensions, psychological complications, an insatiable need for pills, alcohol, tobacco, food, and above all, a large array of neuroses. Right? Isn't that amazing? God is ever-present in your life. And David comes to a place. Now, remember, he's writing the 139th Psalm. It's sort of after the fact. It goes from sort of really bad to good. He's giving you a perspective of his own experience. But he's saying, listen, when I first thought about this, right? When I first thought about this, nothing we do is unseen. It was overwhelming to me. And I said, good night, get me out of here. How can I get out of your presence, God? Whether that's, I'm not coming to church or I'm going to choose my favorite, you know, uh, escape uh, 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 mechanism. I want to get away from you. Because what it means that God is everywhere present is that, you know, the, the uneasy feeling that we have, right, 
the, the restlessness, the vague apprehension, the insatiable need for these things comes from an underlying reality that God is in our life. However, right, there's, a, there's an upside to this. Right? This is what David's going to get to. And if we can appreciate who God truly is, yes, he's holy, yes, he's righteous. But guess what else David says at the first part of Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity. Yes, I committed adultery. Yes, I had a man murder, but as great as the pit is, you are deeper than I have ever gone. And I know that the God who's in my face, who's all righteous and holy, also is compassionate and loving and merciful. And there is no sin that I can commit. Nothing we do is beyond forgiveness. See, that's the upside of living out the reality that God is everywhere present, right? Verse 10, things take a change if you're still looking at Psalm 139, right? I can't get away from God. You know, when I go to, if, if he's being poetic, but man, if I went as far as heaven, I can't get away from. If I make my bed in hell, that's what the old King James says, you are still there. But then in verse 10, there's a change of perception, I would say, because he understands the forgiveness of God lived out in the 51st time. He says, even, circle this, even there your hand, it's not bad news now, will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's saying, listen, Yes, it's, it was a hard pill to swallow. Yes, I had to face the fact that I sinned against an almighty God, but that same almighty, all-present in my face can't get away from God. His love is, is beyond measure. His, 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 the depth of his love, the depth of his compassion. And David said, listen, I'm going I'm to I'm grab hold of that. I'm going to pull that lever. Have mercy on me. Forgive my sins. And he says, listen, even there, even in the midst, in his case, of adultery and murder, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. Surely the darkness will hide me. My own dark- Even my own darkness, verse 12, will not be darkness to you, right? The night will shine like the day, for darkness is light to you. What's the point? God's forgiveness is what makes grace so amazing. That's what David is saying. And that should not only awaken in you a gratitude, that's one thing, but it should give you a kind of moral courage. Because you know what else David says in the 51st Psalm? He doesn't just say, I'm out of jail, I'm off the hook, I'm forgiven. No, he does much more than that. Right? He has enough understanding that the God who is in his life that knows his moves and his motivations and even his discerning his thoughts and his ways that this God is, wants to not only forgive him but wants to heal him. Right? It's not just a prayer for forgiveness. It's a prayer for a renewal. And he says, listen, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Then he says this, so that I might teach sinners the right way. He says, I, only, I, don't, I only, not only want to be back in a relationship with you. I want my job back. I want to get back in the ministry. How bold is that, right? I think a lot of us, right, Christians or non-Christians, we have a hard time with this truth. We say, we're like David. In the, we're, we're stuck in verse 6. Holy cow, no thanks. How can I get away from him? But see, when we play um, God in our lives at increments, right? 
We're never going to experience his grace in the way that we were meant to experience his grace. The power, the glory of the gospel, let me tell you something. It won't change you if you're a tourist Christian, right? If you only invite him in, you know, uh, 30 minutes at a time or 10 minutes at a time or when it's convenient or when you think you need something, right? It won't change your life. You need to stay awake. This is the challenge of the message. You need to stay awake. God's not going to force himself on you. He's there. Can't get, I can't change that. He's there. The question is, are you awake to it? Are you awake to it? Because it's only when you're awake to it and you invite him. You go beyond tolerance. You invite him. Search me and try me, O oh God. See if there be any anxious way in me and, and help me to move forward. That's where this, this psalm ends. But look at the, 20, the 17th verse. Seriously, where David comes full circle. He starts freaking out, right? Verse 6 is a freak out. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts, right? How precious are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them, right? When he experienced God's grace and forgiveness. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now watch this. When I awake, I am still with you. That might have been new to David, but it wasn't new, okay? God was always there. I'll give you a good example of this. If you're familiar with the story, the, the, the Old Testament, the story of um, Jacob. The, if, you look, if you read the book of Genesis, the beginnings, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's the story of the Old Testament people of God out of which comes Jesus. It's a fa fascinating set of stories. But the people that make up these stories, I hope this is what you would appreciate even about David, Right? Adultery and murder, but he's still a man after God's own heart. That tells you something about the gospel and God's grace. Most of the people, if not all of the people, the characters in the Bible, they're not, um, you know, uh, you know uh, super saints, right? And Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, it's a pretty important character, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, he, in Genesis chapter 28, has a, um, a moment of clarity in a moment of truth, very similar to what's going on here. And, and up to that point in his life, and by then he's a mature man, he's in his 40s probably, and up to that point in his life, let me tell you who Jacob was, the great Jacob. He was self-serving, self-absorbed. His name means deceiver or heel catcher, and basically he was a guy that would step over people to get what he, want. That's what, get what he wants. That's what he did to his brother Esau. And the reason in Genesis 28 he's on the run with nothing more than, you know, kind of the old Huckleberry Finn. I mean, he's got, all he's got is the clothes on his back. The only reason he's doing that is because he had to leave quickly or his brother was going to kill him, okay? Now, when he runs out of energy, he falls asleep. And then he has a vision in Genesis 28, and it's this famous vision, some of you know it, of these angels going up and down on a ladder. And it's supposed to be illustrating to Jacob that there is, even though you and I don't see it because we're not awake to it, there's God, in, God is involved in what's going on in, in the human experience. That's the point. He's going up and down this ladder, and Jacob sees it. And all of us, not only does he see this activity, but he hears the voice of God, even though Jacob was done everything to be self-serving and he's on the run because he's in trouble, the voice of God basically reiterates the Abrahamic promise given to his grandfather. He says, listen, I love you and I've got a great purpose for your life. And Jacob wakes up, stunned by this grace, stunned by this, and he says this, surely God is in this place, but I never knew it, right? I never knew it. That's the problem I'm trying to awaken in you and me today, see? 
Whether or not you care about it, maybe it's Mother's Day and you got dragged here today. Welcome to Browncroft, okay? <laughs> but the point is this. So maybe, maybe God isn't a part of your life. You don't care about him. He's not conscious of him. Or maybe you're a Christian and you just had a lot of bad experiences and you're in the middle of a, uh, some, some sinful stuff. Who knows? Let me tell you something. God is a part of your life. He's as close as your very breath. In him we live and move and have our being and, I, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it can be a good thing, right? Surely God is in this place, but I didn't know it. I want to tell you this. God is in this place. Maybe you don't know it. God's in your home. God's in your car. God's in your office. God's in your thought life and in your bedroom. But do you know it? That's the point. That's the point. Because God is fully present everywhere, here's the final takeaway here. We are free to be fully present where he has placed us. That's the point, or should be, right? It should be. If you truly believed, if I truly, if I'm awake to the reality, it's more than a theological concept, that God is with me. And yes, there's a, there's a sobering part to that. Yes, there's an impulse to say, woo, I want to get out of here. Woo, I'm aware, how can I get away from you? But you have to hold on. Because then you begin to see, instead of God being however you've shaped him, you begin to see him for who he truly is. And you begin to see his love and his grace and in his mercy. And David, why is David's story told publicly in the Bible? It's not to shame him, it's to encourage us. That you could do something as horrible and as awful as murder and adultery. Does it get any worse than that? And David comes to himself and he says, listen, I have to come to grips with that. I am the man, but let me tell you something. That's not farther than God can forgive me. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Forgive my transgressions. Wash away my sin. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me and give me my job back. That's amazing, right? But if, you, if you're a tourist Christian, let me tell you something. That God's not available to you. It's not, your, it's not gonna be your reflex to find him. But when we are come to a conscious understanding that God is fully present everywhere, right? We are free to be fully present where he's placed us. You don't have to live your life on the run, right? Jen Wilkins said this in her book. This is the big idea here. Aware that he views us through the lens of grace, we can choose confession over concealment, right? Here's how the psalm ends. This is what I want you to think about when you walk out the door today. This is David, the guy who in verse 6 wanted to get out of God's presence. See? He's, he stopped being a tourist, right? Travelers see what they see. Tourists see what they've come to see. David said, now I see. Like Job said, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. And David says, so, so I want more. He says, listen, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a failure. But David says, listen, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, right? That's what keeps you and me on the run. Do you, do you have a relationship with God that deals on the level of your anxiety? Let me tell you something. If you don't, you don't have much of a relationship with God. No wonder he's not working for you, Right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What keeps me 
restless, with vague apprehensions and complications and an insatiable need for pills, alcohol, tobacco, and food. Listen, it's not the, you know, the ups and downs of everyday life. It's a holy God who is in your life who's trying to get your attention. But he doesn't want to judge you and condemn you. He wants to forgive you and to rebuild you. And David says, test me. I want to, get, I want to, I want to go further. See if there is any offensive way in me, right? This is why intimacy with God means greater intimacy with others. Let me tell you something. There's few of us, if any, in here who don't, on a once-in-a-while basis, you know, if not more, offend people. Listen, I offend people. I know that, okay? I'm sorry to all of you in this room, you know, over the course of 13 years, all right? But you know what? We can get better if we want to be open and if we want to have a real relationship with God, not a tourist relationship. Search me and know me, God. Test me and see if there is any offensive way in me. And it's not just a prayer for self-knowledge. That's sometimes, it's like an x-ray. If all you're going to tell me is my problems, that doesn't help me. It's a prayer for righteousness and for life change. Search me and lead me in the way everlasting. Change my life, right? Change my life. We're free to be fully present where he's placed us. When we submit to God's work in our lives, we grant him permission to do what he's already purposed in our lives, but you got to invite him. The goal in this prayer, as I said, is life change. This writer is saying, listen, God, search me. Search my cares and point out anything that would challenge my faith and cause me to be offense to others. Because the more we live in true integrity with God, the greater our capacity to be intimate with the important people in life because God sees everything. He sees the things that you don't see. And he not only can see them, he has the ability to help you get past them and if necessary, to forgive you. Amen? Let's pray.